latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, September 7th, 2023, the Feast of Our Lady of Covadonga. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you have not. In 711, Muslim Arabs invaded the Iberian Peninsula and King Rodrigo of the Visigoths died facing them. Don Pileo, he was a nobleman. He led a group of brave knights to resist the Muslim conquest, but they were being defeated constantly by the Muslims, so they withdrew to the northern mountains of the Austerias to prepare for battle. During this preparation, the Muslim army, which was an incredibly well-trained army by the famous general Al-Kamar, he was sent to destroy Don Peleo and his men. Don Peleo strategically positioned his men along the cliffs of the El Ziba mountain, where they waited for the enemy to advance. Don Peleo sought the protection of Our Lady, and they brought a statue of her and placed her in the cave of Covadonga where it became the cave of Covadonga, where a statue of the Virgin was erected. Now the battle began with Muslim archers aiming at the Catholic soldiers lying on the tops of the cliffs, and as they fired their arrows, miraculously, the arrows defied the laws of physics and turned back on themselves, striking the Moorish archers and killing them. The Catholic soldiers advanced, while others threw stones and trunks from the trees on the mountains, causing disorder in the Muslim army. And yet, because General Al-Kamar was so amazing in his strategic abilities, and the, and the Catholics were outnumbered by the Muslim army by such tremendous numbers, the Muslim army continued to move forward. But then, a praying to Our Lady of Covadonga, Asking for her intercession, a violent storm broke out with thunder and lightning and heavy rain, which you would imagine would hurt the Catholics on the mountain. But yet, they were unaffected. Instead, the heavy rain caused mudslides and boulders and trees falling on the Muslims, causing them to retreat. And as they continued to retreat, it led to many casualties as they were crushed on their retreat. So then the Battle of Covadonga was won, and Peleo was proclaimed the king of the Austerias. A monastery and chapel were later built on the site in honor of Our Lady of Covadonga, and it was later replaced in 1901 by a grand basilica. Amazing. Absolutely beautiful. And this teaches us that in the impossible, Our Lady desires us to trust in her and to trust in divine providence that we should not just sit in our hands and wait for something to happen, but instead we have to be prepared for battle. Because here in this battle, they didn't simply pray to Our Lady for victory, but instead they did everything possible to win, even though the odds were impossible. But they did everything they could on a natural level and then trusted Our Lady to bring the victory. And so too in our times when things seem like there is no possibility of us winning any battles, that we are outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, what can we do? Well, we do everything we can. We set up the best strategies we can, we pick the best leaders we can, but in the end, we trust it all into our hands of Our Lady, and we trust that she will bring us the victory. So Our Lady of Covadonga, Pray for us. 
Uh, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Wow, Adrian, what an incredible story. Isn't you know, it? As you're describing the arrows going back towards the Moors, I'm just thinking about, you know, Tom and Jerry. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I think Tom is the one, is the cat, right? Yeah. Tom's the cat. He sticks a shotgun in the wall and pops <laughs> right back out, shoots him right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a wild story. I know it. I know it. It's a pretty amazing. I was like, whoa, that's wild. Yeah. And apparently, the this battle is studied by Arabian historians and they refer to the battle by the Arabian historians as an astonishment uh, mm. because they just cannot figure out how they lost. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it is, it is a purely a grace from Our Lady The because uh, the there was just no chance that they were going to win that. There's mm. zero possibility. And so I, I've heard that the Church of Covadonga is absolutely stunning I, we really wanted to go whenever we were in Spain, but it just was not on the path that we were on. Uh, oh, so I have I to go back to Spain so I can see so I can see the Basilica of Covadonga. Well, I'll go with you next time. Let's go right now. All right, let's do it. All right, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so happy Thursday to you. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful week. The week's almost over. It's weird having that, uh, that Labor Day off. Um, it makes the week go by just a little bit faster, which is kind of nice. I think um, the maybe we should just like... Every once a month, have a Labor Day, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we should follow California and move to a four day work week. Are they doing what that do in think? California? Yeah, it's a big movement over there. Ooh, that's uh, interesting. Supposedly, it uh, you know it boosts morale, uh, and then people get their work done faster, oh, so that I mean, they can make it work. I would. I mean, if you did like what twelve hour days, four days a week instead, yeah. you would even actually have be working more. Right. It would be in a five-day week. Yeah, hmm. exactly. I don't know. That's an hmm. interesting idea. Interesting idea. All right. Um, actually, you know, before I jump into things, you know, I just wanted to complain for just a f- three seconds. I My Sony has um, has something wrong with its uh, sensor. I got a piece of dust underneath the sensor, and I can't get it out. And so in order to get it fixed, I have to send it to Sony to take out the sensor to remove the dust, which they told me it's going to cost a minimum of six hundred and nine dollars. I don't know why. I don't know why the and nine, but six hundred and nine dollars mm. minimum. They said. They said if it's something worse, then it could be more. And I was like, Wow, kill me, just just kill me. Like, I, I was like driving me nuts. <laughs> I was like freaking out last yesterday. I was like, I, gee whiz. So there you go, folks. Like maybe I should sell the Sony and go and just give up. I don't know. But anyway, that's not here nor there. Uh, at fifteen past the hour. Father James Martin, SJ, the Society of Jesus, uh, he has a new book, which it seems to be promoting some LGBT blasphemy. So we'll be talking about that at 15 past the hour. And Father James Martin gave a response to LifeSite News' article on it. And I thought it was really interesting what he's had to say. So we're going to talk about that 15 past the hour. Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch will be on with us at 30 past the hour to talk about the riots over the Quran burning in Sweden. And I'm asking, I want to ask the question, is this going to come to America? And in the next hour, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today is going to be on to talk to us about the cross and the crib. So it's going to be a great day with tons of conversations. You're not going to want to miss it. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life, we're praying for that. We pray that you have a blessed weekend. We pray in a special way. My friend Rafe is getting married this Saturday. So prayers for him and his soon-to-be bride. And we pray for the salvation of souls, liberty, and exaltation of Holy Mother Church for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. 
And I ask for your prayers for my grandfather, that he be miraculously healed of his cancer. And for Emily Esterman, who is strangely having liver failure, and they can't figure out why. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Blessed Virgin Mary, Immaculate Mother of God, who didst endure a martyrdom of love and grief, beholding the sufferings and sorrows of Jesus, thou didst cooperate in the benefit of my redemption by thy innumerable afflictions, and by offering to the Eternal Father his only begotten Son as a holocaust and victim of propitiation for my sins. I thank thee for the unspeakable love which led thee to deprive thyself of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, true God and true man, to save me a sinner. Oh, make use of the unfailing intercession of thy sorrows with the Father and the Son, that I may steadfastly amend my life and never again crucify my loving Redeemer by my sins. I read that, persevering till death in his grace, I may obtain eternal life through the merits of his cross and passion. Mother of love, of sorrow, and of mercy, pray for us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Thank you, Adrian. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are some of today's breaking news and stories. The Mexican Supreme Court has decriminalized abortion nationwide. Wednesday's decision follows a 2021 ruling from the court that permitted state officials to regulate the procedure. Prior to the ruling, abortion was legal in 12 of the nation's 32 states. The largely Catholic country has traditionally been restrictive of abortions and uh, uh, so-called abortion rights, but joins other Latin American nations such as Argentina in expanding abortion access in recent years. Scientists have grown a whole model of a human embryo without a sperm or an egg. Scientists at the Wiseman Institute have successfully created an embryo model that closely resembles a 14-day-old embryo. The embryo models were made using stem cells and chemicals to coax them into forming four types of cells found in early human embryos. The resulting models exhibited intricate details, including trophoblasts uh, enveloping the embryo, the cavities that facilitate nutrient transfer, a yolk sac with liver and kidney functions, an embryonic disc. And uh, however, the current 90% failure rate in the model development poses a challenge, and the possibility of extending embryo development raises ethical questions. I think it already asks that, you know, these, these questions are, are things we should be asking if we should allow science to uh, create something like this. And lastly, Google is to require disclosures on AI-generated election ads. The search engine told advertisers that it will implement a policy update in mid-November that will require election-focused advertisements to have explicit statements addressing whether there is AI-generated imagery within it. For example, ads with AI images would have to have a visible statement that says, this audio was computer-generated, or this image does not reflect real events. Those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, here is whenever Simon Peter goes out into the water, and our Lord tells him to launch out into the deep and to let down your nets and that you would become fishers of men. Now, here, there's a number of things that I want to focus on, but we're going to only focus on a couple things. In verse 4, he says, Now, when he had ceased to speak, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. 
Now, here, I think, is something beautiful to keep in mind because our Lord is not asking us to stay on the comforts of the shore, but to launch out into the deep where it can be scary, where it can be difficult. But what does our Lord say? If we skip up ahead to verse 10, see, our Saint Simon Peter does exactly what we should do. What we should do. In verse 8, he falls to his knees saying, Depart from me, from I am a sinful man, O Lord. This should be our disposition. This is our natural disposition to fall to our knees before the Almighty God, recognizing our wickedness. But then, in verse 10, what does our Lord say? It says here, And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. And Jesus saith to Simon, Fear not. From henceforth, thou shalt catch men. This is something that is very difficult for us to understand. Because our Lord is telling us to cast out into the deep, to launch out into the deep. And that's scary. That's difficult. That he is calling us to convert souls, to preach the gospel. That we will be hated, we will be we will scorn, we will have suffering. And our Lord tells us, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now this refers to every single one of us because every single one of us is called to save souls. It's called to convert sinners. But in a special way, this refers to Peter himself. Cornelius Lapide says, The ship of Peter is the church, the head of which is Peter and his successors. The Pope is therefore the chief fisherman to whom the words of Christ apply, Thou shalt catch men. It is the duty, therefore, of the Roman pontiff directly and by means of others to convert the heathen as the early occupants of the Sea of Rome converted the Roman people and sent apostolic men to preach the word of life to heathen lands. This means that the primary duty of the chair of St. Peter, the primary duty of the Pope is the salvation of souls and the conversion, and not just of sinners like you and I, people who are already in the church, but the conversion of heathens, those who are not Catholic, the pagans, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Jews, those who are not Catholic yet. It is our duty, and most primarily the duty of the Holy Father. And we are to be used by the Holy Father, because he's supposed to be, do it directly or by means of others. And so he can use us. He can send you and I out to convert sinners. That is his job, and we are to help him in his duty. So let's meditate upon that today. When we come back, we're going to talk about the raising of Lazarus. Does this have something to do with LGBT? We'll find out. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say... Religion can never depend on minute disputes about doctrine. G.K. Chesterton says that's like saying that life can never depend on minute disputes about medicine. Will the man who says we don't want theologians splitting hairs also say we don't want surgeons splitting filaments more delicate than hairs? Many a man would be dead today if his doctors had not debated fine shades about doctoring. It's also a fact that Western civilization would be dead today if its doctors of divinity had not debated fine shades about doctrine. We depend on doctors of medicine. We can also depend on the doctors of the church. Want more than a minute? 
visit our website, chesterton.org. Hey, Donnie, what are the two most important things we receive at Mass? Daddy Christmas scripture. That's right. All right, one more. Who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Mary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they love us too. If you don't educate your children in the faith, who will? Educate yourself and your family by listening daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And make sure to get the GRN app by logging online to grnonline.com. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Now, I want to talk to you about this new book that's coming out, uh, published by Harper Press, if I'm not mistaken. And it is written by the famous, or maybe I should say infamous, Father James Martin, S.J. And... We're going to get into that in just a second, but I wanted to circle back on something that I had mentioned just for a second yesterday, because I just found out that this is kind of cool. So George Washington, he, we talk about many times uh, in the past, we've interviewed people asking, did George Washington convert to Catholicism? Uh, the short answer is probably not. There's like zero evidence of that actually happening. There was like rumor of it and legend of it, but in terms of historical evidence, apparently there is no evidence of it whatsoever, but... There was, George Washington did actually write about rules of civility and decent behavior. And I had mentioned that at the very, very end of the show yesterday, and we talked about it briefly in the after show. But then I found the, the entirety of his excerpt. It's a, it's 110, it's 110 of his, um, of rules of civility. And when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is really interesting because where did he get the rules of civility from? Well, he got the rules of civility, apparently, from the French Jesuits. Hmm. The French Jesuits, in 1595, wrote the rules of civility and decent behavior and in, in company and conversation. And by the age of 16, Washington was required to many times hand copy it. And so he had just ingrained these ideas into his mind, which influenced his other actions. And it was brought into English. These things were brought into English in 1640. And I think this is really interesting. That was really fascinating. That is really cool. In the 15th century, uh, you know, the Jesuits were, were being uh, sent out to combat the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Reformation. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. And it, it's funny. My dad used to make me write things out of books as well. And I always thought that was just completely useless. But maybe I did retain some of that information. Yeah, just like ingrained it into your head. <laughs> it's like uh, when you see like the writing on the school board and the chalkboard, I will not do X. I will not do X. Right. Uh, that, that kind of totally thing. Totally works. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it didn't work for me. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. And maybe, uh, maybe I'll send this link out so people can read these 110 rules of civility. Because I was reading through them. I read the first uh, 15 this morning. And I was like, oh, this is really, really interesting and something that people – simply do not um we just we don't we don't really know these things anymore yeah it's not really them. it's not really part of our culture anymore to have etiquette or anything like that and that's not that's not to say well look like how terrible it is it's just something that has uh, lost uh its place in society and i think that's something that we can bring back yeah for sure like here's one uh, number 22 show not yourself glad at the misfortune of another though he were your enemy 
like that kind of thing. Like it's very yeah. simple and very good advice. Like don't don't rejoice if something bad happens to someone, even if it's your enemy. Yeah. That's that's good. That's very good things. So I thought that was something interesting, and I think it was worthy of bringing up. Maybe I'll send it out on our email list this Friday. But the going back, speaking of the Jesuits, uh, the Jesuits in the 1595 were doing awesome things, combating heresy, combating Protestantism. In the 21st century, they are writing books about coming out of the closet. Uh, so there you go, folks. Father James Martin is publishing this new book called Come Forth, The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle. And this book is about the rising of Lazarus from the dead. He published a, a rather lengthy excerpt at America Magazine, so I read that. I didn't read the entirety of the book. And then LifeSite News published an article talking about the book as well. So I read it, and one thing that really struck me is that guess who he cites in the book? Like you would think, okay, who, who he's, he's commenting on a scripture passage. Who do you think he refers to? I'm just going to take a wild guess. Voltaire. Voltaire? Oh, well, that's a pretty interesting guess, actually. Uh, <laughs> but the it is not Voltaire. You're in the right ballpark, though. You, you would have think you would think you're writing a biblical commentary. You might quote Augustine, Thomas Aquinas. Maybe since you're a Jesuit, you would you would cite Suarez, Bellarmine, maybe Cornelius Lapide, maybe another great saint Jesuit, Haydock, Haydock. But instead, who does he cite? He cites. Richard Zimler's novel, The Gospel According to Lazarus, he cites two dramas by William Butler Yeats and Khalil Gibran's play Lazarus and His Beloved. He cites the Oscar Wilde. He cites a bunch of other playwrights and fiction writers to talk about his commentary on this passage, which particularly struck me because... It doesn't do a good job of explaining what happened. It's one thing if it's like a fictional account. It gives you try to tries to help you to imagine what it might have been like. But it's not even accurate here because one of the things he says here, he says, In Richard Zimler's beautiful novel, The Gospel According to Lazarus, the raised man is dazed after his time in the tomb. Initially, he can barely remember the miracle. Jesus touchingly asked for forgiveness for arriving late. Too late for what, Lazarus says to himself. So that's not even accurate of what might have happened. One, why do we know why do we know that? Well, one, because you can actually just read what actually happened, and that's not what happened. And second, our Lord would not apologize for being late because our Lord came exactly when he intended to come. And this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the passage. Because our Lord came after he was dead for four days. Not because our Lord was late because our Lord could have risen him from a distance. Remember whenever the, the man comes and he asks for a servant to be healed and he says, no, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word and my soul and my servant shall be healed. And our Lord says, says the word and what happens? He's healed. So our Lord wasn't late. He came when he intended to come because he was trying to prove a point. And so why does the scripture say four days? Well, if you read the Jesuit commentators on this passage, you can actually understand what the passage actually means. Because Father James Martin here is trying to say that this is about being ourselves. 
And it's interesting. He actually explicitly says that he doesn't want people to think that this is an explicitly just LGBT coming out of the closet type thing. It's really about everybody coming out and being themselves. And so I did a quick control F and looked for the word sin. And guess how many times I found the word sin in this scripture, in this passage? Uh, two. Uh, you're close. You should subtract two to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, zero times. Not even one mention of sin. And this is the entire point of the passage. Cornelius Lapide commenting on this says, when the reason why he mentions four here, why four days is because the four days symbolize a sinner having the habit of sinning because he who is dead in sin and as it were buried in it and lies past cure without hope of forgiveness in spiritual life for the first days is that in which anyone sins by the consent of the will. So you have decided to sin. You've made that decision. The second day is symbolized as on the day you actually complete the sin and act. So now you've actually committed the sin. It's already bad when you consent to the willing to sin. You've already sinned in doing that. But when you actually execute it, you've now done a greater and worse sin. And the third day is symbolic of when you repeat it again and again. So you start doing the same sin again and again and again. The fourth day, this refers to when it becomes a habit and becomes obstinate. Now it is as if you cannot escape. It's kind of like when we refer to addictions. You might be addicted to the sin of gluttony. You, you just can't, can't get it past. You, you try to stop eating, but the temptation is too strong, and you keep falling into gluttony. Whatever the sin that may be, whether it's alcoholism, whether it be pornography, whether it be whatever it is that your addiction is, this is the, the habit and the obstinate habit. And as it were, you turn by nature, it becomes incredibly difficult because you have perverted your will. And so this is what it's symbolic of. And so our Lord commands you to come out. And what happens? By the grace of confession and the grace of our Lord, he asks you to come out of your sin, to break free from the bondage of sin. And you can actually be saved. You can actually become virtuous. This is what the passage actually means. This is what our Lord is trying to tell us. This is something that is very, very good. And it's absurd. It is absurd to try to reduce this passage to an idea of be yourself, of try to accept who we are. And one of the things that he mentions a lot is being kind. Our Lord didn't ask us to be kind. He asked us to be charitable. Those are two different things. You can be kind, or one might say nice, without ever loving anyone. Because to love somebody, sometimes you have to be unkind. To love someone, sometimes you have to say things that are difficult, that are hard, that may even cause people to hate you, that may cause people to reject you. That may have to happen. You may have to lose your job. You may have to lose your head because of people's hatred. How do we know that? Because then the Jews try to kill Lazarus after this. After witnessing our Lord raise Lazarus from the dead, the Jews conspire to kill Lazarus again because the miracle was so magnificent that too many people were like, oh my goodness, he is who he says he is. He is the God. He is the Son of God. So this is something that we have to keep in mind. And it's also interesting to note that one of the reasons why our Lord cries here, why he weeps, is because Lazarus was in the limbo of the fathers. 
He was in heavenly paradise, not in the heaven proper, but in a natural happiness of limbo. And he was drawing him out of there and bringing him back to living where temptation exists, where there is a chance that he may sin again. And so he weeps, but he knows he's confident in Lazarus and confident in the grace that he will give Lazarus, that he will be saved. And Lazarus ended up becoming a bishop and later dies again. So this is a beautiful thing. This is a very beautiful thing. And it's absurd to say, look at Father James Martin's comments there and say that, that our Lord was late and that after the miraculous resurrection of uh, Lazarus, that he is dazed for his time in the tomb and that he can barely remember the miracle. What absurdity. And that as he walks out, he says here, he walks on unsteady legs. You think our Lord healed him and his legs were unsteady? They weren't working properly. The healing wasn't good enough that his legs were a little wobbly. I don't think so. It's not a healing in the way that our doctors heal us. It's a miraculous healing. He was able to get up and walk and move on his own. Ups, absurdity in its fullest extent. Now, finally, in response to the LifeSite News article, Father James Marta came out and he said, LifeSite News once again shows its deeply pastoral approach to all things. Even after Pope Francis himself told a gay man, God made you that way. It is not enough for their writers. I honestly wonder if anyone at LifeSite knows anything about the human condition. Now, I wonder, is that something that falls under the purview of the Pope to say God made you that way? Is that something under his purview? Is that something that he's allowed to talk about in terms of papal infallibility? I would say no, because that's a question of science. That's a question of what is going on with your DNA, not a question of divine revelation. So for that, I would say there is much more to be explored. And I tend to see that the science says God does not make you that way. We'll be right back with Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch when we come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. If Jesus brought two of the greatest Old Testament saints to meet with three of the greatest New Testament saints at the Mount of Transfiguration, can you say with any assurance that they were not alive, aware, and able to communicate? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Luke 9 says, quote, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Did you catch that? They were talking with Jesus. That means they have cognitive capability. Secondly, heavenly friends. Those in heaven long for your prayer requests. Their intercession far exceeds your best friend's prayers here on earth. Sorry to say that. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. Well, Oral Roberts University has the prayer tower. TBN has a prayer department. Your home church probably has a prayer hotline. Well, guess what? Heaven has on-demand, pure, unselfish prayer warriors known as the great cloud of witnesses. They're waiting on you. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. Now, I'm going to start off by saying Florida man, and you think about what I'm about to say here. Florida man 
The headline is actually Florida Man Busted Trying to Run Across the Atlantic Ocean in a giant, get this, hamster wheel amid a hurricane. Riza Baluki was spotted last month about 70 miles off the coast of Tybee Island, Georgia, as Hurricane Franklin caused life-threatening surf and riptide conditions. The Florida marathoner was busted trying to run across the Atlantic in what was effectively a giant plastic hamster wheel. Bellucci reportedly told his rescuers that he planned to run more than 4,000 miles to cross the ocean to London, and then repeatedly threatened to kill himself rather than end his hamster run. Car makers are failing the privacy test. Owners have little to no control over data collected. This is a very interesting story. A study by the nonprofit Mozilla Foundation reveals that major car manufacturers may be selling personal information collected from their cars, with half of them willing to share it with the government without a court order. The lack of control over personal data collected by cars, along with vague security standards, raises concerns about privacy and vulnerability to hacking. The Alliance for Automotive Innovation, a trade group representing car manufacturers, disputes the claim that cars are wiretaps on wheels and calls for a federal privacy law to protect consumer privacy. Nissan stands out for its honesty in disclosing data collection practices, including the collection of sensitive personal information. And get this, very concerning here, your genetic characteristics. And uh, finally, retailers are taking a desperate measure, including fog machines to deter rampant shoplifting. Once it's activating, the system creates a dense fog with near to zero visibility conditions in just seconds. The fog is designed to be dense and disorienting to deter an intruder from following through with their intentions. The rise in interest in a fogging device is at the forefront of business owners' minds as stores are expected to lose $115 billion worth in uh, retail theft by 2025. Stores reportedly lost an estimated $86.8 billion last year. The security fogger boasts a 97% effective rate against uh, theft compared to traditional alarm systems, citing only 17% effective rates. Now, those were all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Back to you, Adrian. And thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. I got to say, hamster wheel running on the water. Pretty cool. Right? It's honestly pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of thinking, hmm, maybe no, <laughs> no. It's pretty cool. That's a bad idea. But maybe. <laughs> now, maybe there wasn't enough oxygen in the hamster wheel because the oh, guy was point. constantly, it, it, they were trying to rescue him. And he was like, I am going to kill myself. I have a bomb on me and I'm going to explode it if you don't let me go. Dude. So it was a very uh, hairy situation. Yeah. Kind of like a hamster. You know, I never even, I, I would have I'd never considered the fact that there's limited oxygen in that thing. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. That's a just good point. imagine running yeah. across the Atlantic yeah. Ocean. You're going to be winded. Yeah, not only that, but <laughs> I guess like it probably doesn't have holes in it, right? Otherwise, water would get in. So right. you only have, huh, that's, I can understand why that would be a not the best idea. So, all right, well, Florida man, please, uh, no more running on hamster wheels on the uh, ocean. No more gator wrestling. No, no more, gator more wrestling. any 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 sort of Florida man story, please, please. That's I think enough. I could take a gator in a fight. You think so? I think so. If it was, was a small one, I could mm. take one. Maybe not one of those ones that are like like 12 feet long. Maybe <laughs> if it's like a six-footer, I think I could take Ugh. it. <laughs> no thanks, man. No thanks. All right. All right. Joining us right now is Robert Spencer. He is the editor-in-chief of Jihad Watch. Good morning to you, Mr. Spencer. Good morning, sir. Just been wrestling gators. 
Awesome. Oh, Praise wow. be to God. Good that's morning the, activity. That's the way to do it. Our first thing in the morning, that's the exercise to do. Some people go for jogs. Other people like to go for a swim. Uh, but real men, they go and wrestle a gator in the morning. Uh, but that's good morning. <laughs> All right. So th- there is this crazy story that I start seeing videos of and pictures of. And there was one in particular aspect of it that I don't know if it's actually connected, where there is a, a Muslim migrant in Sweden climbing into an apartment of somebody's house. All these different stories come out of Sweden. What's going on over there right now? Well, what Sweden is experiencing is a period of tremendous unrest and societal dislocation that comes directly from its large-scale importation of Muslims. And the Muslims have a radically different view of interpersonal relationships and of how society should be ordered and any number of other things. And they are bringing that to Sweden. Sweden had swallowed the lie that Islam is a religion of peace that is entirely benign and tolerant and has nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. And so they were completely unprepared for the societal disruption that these migrants would bring. And now they are reaping the fruits of their willful ignorance in all kinds of different ways. Now, what about this in particular? It says that there was uh, these protests. It looks more like riots. I'm not sure why it says protests against Quran burning. And so what's the deal here in Sweden? I know in the United States, there is freedom of speech. If someone wanted to burn a Bible, which, God forbid, um, they're allowed to do so in America. If you want to burn the American flag, that's also kind of ridiculous, but we allow that in America. Um, is that the same in Sweden, or is there a law? are they breaking the law by doing this? What's happening here? No, Sweden allows for the freedom of expression in the same way that the United States does. And yet this is being sorely tested right now, uh, ironically, by a couple of Iraqi refugees. Mm. And uh, the, the principal one, Sawan Momika, has repeatedly engaged in burning and other kinds of desecration of the Muslim holy book, the Quran. And sometimes he's been joined in this by another Iraqi. And they say that they're doing it because of the ideas in the book not because they hate Muslims or want to denigrate them, but because they have, in Iraq, had personal experience with the beliefs that are expressed in the Quran. They find them to be life-destroying, soul-destroying, harmful to human beings in various ways, and so they're desecrating the Quran in Sweden. In response, there have been protests all over the Islamic world. Innocent people have been hurt. Innocent people have been killed. And even the government of Turkey has declared that the uh, Swedish application to join NATO is going to be blocked by Turkey because any any NATO member can block the entry of a new member as long as Sweden doesn't destroy the freedom of expression and ban the burning of the Quran. And so now they're on the brink of doing that. Denmark has already done it, and Sweden is likely to cave in in the very near future. Wow. That is... I that, that was not I was not expecting you to say that. So what has been Sweden's response so far? Did, did have they put anything out publicly yet? Yeah, so far they it, at first said we don't like this. This has not anything to do with the government. They were trying to deflect the criticism from the Islamic world. They've had all kinds of trouble. You know, the Iranians called in the Swedish ambassador and lodged a formal protest. So did some other Islamic states. 
And so the government immediately distanced themselves from this, but said that it was a matter of the freedom of expression. And so that was that. They couldn't do anything about it. But now they're talking about outlawing it, not on the basis of banning the uh, free speech, but in terms of banning something that would cause societal harm. Now, that is even worse, actually, because what they're essentially saying is, if you threaten us, if you bully us, we'll cave in. And so the Islamic world will get the signal that if they don't like something in Sweden, they can just riot. And as long as they riot, the Swedes will cave in and say, oh, this causes societal disruption, we'll ban it. Yeah, how is that not domestic terrorism? It's exactly what it is. And the Swedes are talking publicly now about caving into it, which will only encourage more. And so what is the situation? Because I was even I didn't even know about the situation in Denmark until you just mentioned it now. Uh, what is, where did that come from? Well, Denmark had the same thing happening. A lot of Quran desecrations. Now, in Denmark, it was a different thing. It wasn't an Iraqi migrant. It was a Dane, actually, who holds dual citizenship with Sweden as well, named Rasmus Paladon. Now, Rasmus Paladon was able to be portrayed in the media, and he was, as a far-right extremist, mm. because that's how anybody who does anything remotely critical of Islam is always portrayed, no matter what. You take going back to Pim Fortune, who was a Dutch politician who was killed. Actually, I believe he might have been Danish, but in any case, he was a European politician who was killed uh, about 20 years ago after he had criticized Islam. Now, he was a leftist in every other way, in all of his other positions, and was, in fact, a homosexual activist. Wow. But he was against uh, the spread of Islam and the increase of Muslim migration in his country, and so he was portrayed as far right. And they do the same thing with Geert Wilders in the Netherlands, who is uh, also on the left in many of his social positions, but he criticizes Islam, so he's far right. And Rasmus Paladon is portrayed as far right. And so the establishment media internationally was able to say, see, this is just a racist thing. Mm -hmm. They're just bigoted Islamophobes. And so we have to crack down and make sure that they don't offend the uh, Muslim community. And uh, we'll have to cut you off right there. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish up this conversation because there is a lot more going on and there's a risk to America. We'll come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Despite the fact that things are crazy out in the world, it's still good to be here. Because, you know, it's so funny. Today is the feast of Our Lady of Covadonga, where the Muslims were outnumbered, the Catholics, and they were attacking the Spanish Catholics. And yet, by the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, they were able to be victorious over the invaders. Uh, what a grace. What a grace. Uh, but speaking of Islamic invasion, uh, joining us right now is Robert Spencer. He is the editor-in-chief of Jihad Watch. And we're talking about these riots that are going on when it's in Swi- Switzerland and uh, Sweden specifically, but the also about this being kind of spread everywhere else, it seems, because I didn't know it was in Denmark. And I'm also reminded and seeing this story immediately what came to my mind was the fact that I believe it was New York who said that they were going to start allowing for the Muslim call to prayer to be played publicly. And I was thinking, where are we headed with this? Are we going to start to become a Muslim country? Because it's not like we uh, play the Angelus at 6, noon, and 6. Um, that's not something that we do. We're not having call to prayer for the divine office. And so what's the deal here? Uh, but good morning to you, Mr. Spencer. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think it's a lot farther off for the United States than it is for Europe. Europe actually could see Muslim countries within the next 30, 40 years. Uh, Denmark has just, as, as, as I was saying before the break, they just actually outlawed the desecration of the Quran. Now, that's the kind of thing that you would expect a Muslim country to do. And now that only emboldens the Muslim population of Denmark to push for more capitulation and more Muslim laws in Denmark. And they will almost certainly, unless there's some massive change, receive them until Denmark fully implements Islamic law. Now, we're on the same track in the United States, but much farther back. We have the public call to prayer. There have been complaints about that in New York City for years where it's been implemented already. But now the mayor has allowed it without any restrictions, and so he's made it very clear. The non-Muslims don't matter. The complaints don't matter. The Muslim rights are supreme. Once he establishes that as a precedent, there will be many, many more concessions to the Muslim community in New York, and then other cities will imitate that. Well, it's funny because... The in one sense, I mean, I'm obviously very much against this idea of what the Muslims are doing. But in the other sense, I am 100 percent endorsing their strategy. This is something that I always talk about in terms of uh, we as Catholics here. We tell I tell people all the time we need to take up space. We need to go out and have public square rosary rallies. We need to go out and fight to have the Bible in the schools. We need to go out and do these kind of things. But the Muslims are doing the same thing, but for their religion. They're saying, well, we're going to do everything we can to do this and move the ball forward for their interest. And I think it's uh, not good, but it's very smart of them to do so. But going back to this, what about the other first world countries? I know there are laws in other places about 
hate crime laws. So in other first world countries, let's say England, France, maybe Canada, are there situations like this where you're not allowed to burn the Quran there as well? What's the deal here? At this point, the Western countries generally still hold to the freedom of speech. But uh, Canada, for example, uh, theoretically, somebody could desecrate the Quran publicly there, but it would likely cause him or her a lot of trouble to do so because uh, Canada has a government program against so-called Islamophobia. uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada some months ago, appointed an Islamophobia czar in Canada, whose job, and of course it's a government-funded job, is to eradicate Islamophobia in Canada. Now the problem is Islamophobia is never defined, and it's used to refer to two quite different things. One is vigilante attacks against innocent Muslims, which are never justified under any circumstances. And if that's what Islamophobia is all about, then yes, it should be stamped out. But also Islamophobia is used to refer to honest discussion of the motivating ideology behind jihad terrorism and violence. And in that case, well, then everybody should be Islamophobic if it means to oppose jihad murder and other kinds of terrorism that come from justifications within Islam. Well, then that's something everybody should be for, not against. That's a really good point. And I think it's interesting to see the the word phobia being used in that way because it's the same thing they do with everything. They call you homophobe. They call you all these different kind of titles. And it never means whatever they are, what it actually means. Because like you said, if someone is a, if by Islamophobia you mean we shouldn't murder Muslims, well then, yeah, we already have laws against murdering Muslims, and we already have laws against assaulting people. All these things are already laws. So if that's what you mean, then why are we doing this? But like you said, there's real concerns about uh, the Muslim population uh, and the Quran itself, what what it's encouraging in the population. Uh, So what about in Switzerland and with this other story that you have on uh, Jihad Watch here uh, that I kind of saw it and I wasn't entirely certain what was going on about a Muslim man uh, coming into his ex-girlfriend's apartment that kind of made uh, went a little viral on social media but i don't i didn't hear anybody talk about this publicly what is going on there yeah that was in sweden actually and the guy climbs the ladder he's got a knife and he gets into the apartment and stabs the new boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend now this was a as you noted a muslim migrant and he did it out of various Islamic principles. Unfortunately, when you import a large number of people who believe that violence is justified under certain circumstances and is even blessed by God, then you're going to get more violence. And there is a tradition of honor violence in the Islamic world. There are even several Muslim countries that if you can prove that you killed your wife or girlfriend or somebody like that, even your daughter, for honor, in order to restore your honor, then you get a lesser penalty than for an ordinary murder. Mm. And this is based on a Quran passage that has actually a young boy being killed. And it's explained that he's killed because he was going to grow up and be unreligious, and his believing parents deserved a better child. And so this is a very dangerous attitude that leads to all kinds of abuses, and we're letting it into the West wholesale. 
That's really interesting because I'm glad you said that because I saw this story and whenever it came up, I kind of ignored it and didn't talk about it because I was thinking, you know, it's an individual case. It is not. I don't know why this would be national or international news. Uh, but when you're saying here, saying that it's him acting on a principle, which other people also hold, explains very clearly why this is very important that people be aware of that situation. And so that, that I was going to add, my follow-up question was going to be, like, what is that principle? You kind of already expressed it, but is there anything else to that that we should be aware of? Well, yeah, the idea is, I mean, it's very important what you noted, that it's not just an individual acting, but it's indicative of some very deeply ingrained cultural and religious attitudes. And we have seen this over and over again. As a matter of fact, at Jihad Watch, pretty much every day or several times every week, I have stories from Germany, from France, from other European countries of Muslims multiply stabbing their wives or their daughters. And they explain almost invariably that it's because they wanted to adopt a Western lifestyle. And mm -hmm. from this standpoint, it's better for the daughter or the wife to be dead than to depart from Islamic norms. So what exactly is the solution here? Because I, this is like a, a a third rail word that I almost don't want to say and, and people will get it will freak out. But it seems like the only solution is a diaspora of, of, of sending them back to their to their countries. Uh, I know people will will be very upset at someone saying that because there's a lot of negative connotations. But the I mean, I, I just don't see a, a solution other than I mean, you have conversion. You can convert them. Or you can just say, I mean, you can't, they can't be in a country where their values are so opposed to one another. Uh, so what exactly is a solution? Yeah, there's no doubt it would be extraordinarily difficult at this point. And it gets more difficult every day because there are more migrants coming in every day. But the fact is that these countries, if they intend to preserve their cultural character, they need to stand up and say, we're going to have one law for all the people. Germany has just started to allow polygamy for Muslim migrants. What? And still not allowed for Germans, but it's allowed for Afghan Muslim migrants. So a society can't stand in that way. And if these countries stand up and say, one law for all people, and anybody else who's a migrant is going to have to go back if they're not willing to obey the laws, I think that would be a positive start. But I, they don't have the will to do that. Wow. I. Every time you you just say bring up these stories uh, very casually, and I, I somehow keep missing these stories. I, and it's it blows my mind that these stories are not talked about anywhere. I, I try to keep my eyes on the news, and I'd even hear about Germany uh, allowing for Muslims to have polygamy. When did this happen? Oh, it's just recent. A group of Afghans came in, and they wanted to bring in their second wives under the uh, idea of family reunification, and the Germans said okay. And so now they have their first wives and their second wives. It's the same thing in Britain. It's been for years that the authorities don't legalize it, but they turn a blind eye. In Germany, they've now explicitly acknowledged it. What? You just blew, you just blew my mind again. I didn't know that was a thing in Britain either. Uh, how long has that been going on in Britain? Oh, yeah, decades now that the Muslims bring in their, their polygamous arrangements and as long as it's not something that they don't make a big deal about, the British allow it because actually they, they like the idea of more people being in the households because then it increases the tax base. Wow. That 
is absolutely mind-boggling because I'm thinking of the United States and our situation with the Mormons and how uh, the United States government forced the Muslim, the Mormons to abolish polygamy uh, because it just was not going to conducive to our culture. Um, so in the last minute and a half we have with you, what is the risk to America in terms of all these things happening in Europe and it coming to the United States? Well, there's already polygamy in America, too, and it's all under the radar it's all the, the authorities here again. They turn a blind eye to it. There was a house fire in the Bronx a few years back, and it was discovered after the fire that the people who were living in the house were a Muslim man and his, his first wife on the first floor and his second wife on the second floor and his third wife on the third floor and so on. There was a jihad training camp that was discovered in New Mexico, and it was founded by a Muslim man who had gone there with his second wife, leaving his first wife in Florida, not divorcing the first wife. He just had both at the same time. This is There are thousands of uh, Muslim families in the U.S. who are in polygamous arrangements, but as long as they don't register both wives as actual wives, then the authorities let it go. Wow. That is very shocking. I did not. I was unaware that that was happening in the United States. And I guess in one sense, uh, we've been having polygamy in America ever since we allowed no-fault divorce and people to get married and remarried and remarried and remarried and remarried over and over again. Um, so, wow. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Robert Spencer, for being on with us. Check out Jihad Watch. Uh, God bless you. God love you, Robert. You too. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for the first hour. If you can join us in the next hour, we're going to switch over to be a little bit more positive. Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today is joining us. We're going to be talking about the cross and the crib. Bishop Sheen today coming up in just one moment. We'll see you in just a moment. Ever feel like life is just too busy, too much? Constant noise, social and traffic, work, paying bills. It just doesn't seem to let up. Well, maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace and less chaos, then find your hope today. Begin at CatholicsComeHome.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God, she carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are, wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran who soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations.
Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. Went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. And it was an easy excuse. Uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. When you come home to the, to the church, you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Hi, I'm Samantha from Presentation Catholic Church. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Despite the fact that the world is crazy, I think focusing in on Our Lady is always the answer, especially when relevant to our conversation is uh, Our Lady of Covadonga. A pretty amazing story. I just love it. I was uh, sure someone should write that into like a fiction novel or make it into a a play or a movie. That'd be an awesome movie, uh, the Covadonga. Because then you kind of have you said the first act. Well, King Alphonsus is fighting against the Muslims and loses, and then they're in retreat. The Muslims are are taking ground, and they have uh, Don Pilon uh, rising and fighting against the Muslims, and they're they retreat back into the mountains where they're surrounded on every side. They bring out the statue of Our Lady. They pray, build a shrine to her in the cave, and they pray before her, and then they all set out to battle, surrounding the mountains, setting up, ready for the battle. And when the battle commences, they're all ready, and they're all prepared to die. And yet the time comes, and yet the victory is brought, not by human hands, but by the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, what an amazing, amazing movie that would be, I think. It would be super cool to see that set up, and it would be uh, very dramatic. There is a winning and losing, and not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, it would be an awesome, awesome movie, I think. Um, but anyway, going on, speaking of talking about Our Lady, and speaking of the cross, uh, good morning to you, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. Uh, good morning, Adrian. It's great to be here on our Thursday uh, morning session. I like to call this our Thursday therapy. In that, uh, <laughs> Archbishop Sheen uh, has provided us lots of good material, uh, good therapy for the soul. And of course, he uh, wrote extensively on Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, um, you know, I've been just recently compiling uh, a good uh, collection of his writings. And we have a new release called The Cross and the crib uh, because of those beautiful words of our Lord from the cross, behold your mother. Uh, people don't always realize is that when he said those words, uh, we were then adopted spiritually by, by the Blessed Virgin Mary. We became her children. And so in a way, Calvary is the nursery. It's the nursery where we're born into this beautiful family of God. Uh, of course, we're born through baptism, but again, this beautiful connection between the cross and the crib, Calvary becomes the nursery. But those words that should echo through our head throughout the day is, behold your mother, mm. behold your mother. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, that's good because, you know, these, these times, we can get, it can get very sad. 
it can get very sad. And you know, it's funny. September is known as in secular. The, you know, we have we have the the liturgical calendar, and then you have the secular liturgical calendar. And so September is dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows, Queen of Martyrs. Uh, but in September, and this is, I guess, a positive thing I, I would say, is September is, is known in secularly as the, the month dedicated to suicide awareness. And it's, we live in a time of great sadness. The suicide rate is just ridiculous, especially among young men. And I think that's the answer. I think that's the answer is behold your mother to gaze upon the mother's face, especially when we recognize that Our Lady is, is sorrowful as well. We live in so many sorrows. We live in this vow of tears. And yet, it's not like we have a God and a mother that doesn't relate to us. Instead, we have one that knows exactly, in a, and to the nth degree, what it's like to feel pain and sorrow and lowliness. What say you, Alan Smith? Yeah, I think of two things. I think of how um, the church has always encouraged us to uh, salute Our Lady as the uh, mother of the, you know, the immaculate and sorrowful heart. To remember that her heart is pure, but yet sorrowful at the same time. And so she can compassion us because she knows what sorrow is. Uh, you know, we struggle through the day. We have our problems. We have our issues. But yet she's there for us, waiting for us to say, I know your sorrow. I've experienced it. When I think of the words of our blessed Lord, um, you know, and we think of him, he was like us in all things but sin. Um, Our Lady can identify with that uh, to a good degree. Uh, She knows our sin, and yet she can compassion because she's seen what sin did to her son. It put him on the cross. But again, she's there to comfort us, console us, to counsel us if we go to her, if we go to her. And that's the missing link is we don't go to her enough. And I think this is what Fulton Sheen did in his writings. He would constantly remind and encourage people to say, Go to her. Give her a try. Let her become your mother. Uh, Spend time with her. You may not start praying the rosary right away. That will come in time. But have conversation with her. And I love how you and uh, Rudy were talking about Our Lady uh, yesterday and how you were mentioning uh, this aspect of sorrow. She's Our Lady Queen of Martyrs. But yet we can apologize to her we can warm up to her because I think that's what is the word, I guess, the relationship can start is those little apologies. We would say we're sorry to our mother when we, we would offend her, disappoint her. And so sometimes a little apology to the Blessed Virgin Mary goes a long way. It really does. And uh, it's my tip that I give when I give uh, parish missions and conferences is to apologize to the Blessed Virgin Mary for your role that you played in causing her that sorrow of losing her son on the cross. And you're amazed, you will be amazed how she will say to you, I forgive you, I love you, you're mine. Let's move forward together. Let's move forward together. Yeah, you know, many people, they suffer, they suffer so much and they, they experience pain and they don't understand why God would allow them to experience this pain. Like, why, why God? What did I do to deserve this? And, and it may cause them so much consternation and they may even start to lose their faith and start to move away from the church. Uh, how do you t- comfort someone and direct them back uh, to the way of peace, the way of Christ, after enduring a suffering that they just don't understand why it happened to them? Well, uh, Fulton Jean's answer was, 
look upon the crucifix. You know, we, 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 the problem with us is that it's all about me. It's mm. all about me. We, we spend all this time thinking about my problems, my life, my sorrow. But yet, looking at the crucifix is great therapy. And, and it's also a great um, distraction. You start to look at someone else and you see the love that he had for you. Um, this is the key is that you have to get your mind off of you and get it onto others, but especially our Lord on the cross. You know, when we think we're having a bad day, take a look at a crucifix just for a few moments. Now, does that change your perspective? Mm. So the key is put a crucifix in your hand, on your wall, on your desk, and start to gaze upon the crucifix. And it's amazing how it will change your perspective. That is so true, Alan. You know, uh, that's uh, something that I've uh, taken to heart, particularly for uh, for our home life, is to, to have a crucifix in every single uh, room of the house so that in difficult moments, I mean, especially as a you know, young father, you know, there's going to be uh, times where our, our patience is tested as well as for my wife, and it, it really helps uh, to have that cross uh, at the forefront of our minds and of our eyes. Yes, and I think this is why we have to go to Our Lady, because you look upon the cross and you can be terrified because you realize, I had something to do with that. My sin put our Lord on the cross. He's dying because of what I did. And, and that can be terrifying. You know, when you really ponder, you know, the guilt that is attached to this, and yet Our Lady is at the foot of the cross, to console us, to comfort us, to say, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. You will be forgiven if you ask to be forgiven. But yet I'm here for you. I'm with you. I, I, you know, our Lord said, I will not leave you orphan. And you know what? I'm here. This is the orphanage. I'm taking you in. You're now in the nursery of my immaculate heart. And so uh, be with me. Stay with me. And I will see you through these trying times. So again, there's so much to be there, to be learned from, you know, the, the scene of the cross. But again, Our Lady is always there. She's always with Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's... I, I what Your book, The Cross and the Crib, the... Why? What is this book exactly? Is it a... Because it's, it's not a, a Fulton Sheen book, but it is a Fulton Sheen book. Yeah, it's it's a collection of 15 of Sheen's homilies on the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, that the, you know, Sheen wrote nine books on the cross. And so in those nine books, he always talked about Our Lady. So I pulled those reflections on the Blessed Virgin Mary pertaining to the words, Behold Your Mother, and put them into this book, this anthology. And then I added the book, The Seven Words of Jesus and Mary, where Our Lady imitates our Lord. Uh, and you can see the connection between his seven last words on the cross and the seven times Our Lady spoke uh, in sacred scripture where they record that. So uh, it's these beautiful reflections that I've put into one collection and I've made my own uh, you know, introduction and my commentary uh, in the book. And so it's just, I kind of, like I say, the best of Sheen about Our Lady. And yet the book, the title came to me naturally because uh, Fulton Sheen pointed to us to, to say that Calvary is the nursery. 
Uh, it's where we become children of Mary. So the reason it's called the cross and the crib. And so, uh, again, the best of Fulton Sheen, but again, uh, a spiritual journey with Fulton Sheen to help bring you to the cross, but to bring you to Our Lady at the same time. Amen. You know, it's interesting on page 95 of your book, you talk about praying. And I think this is really, really uh, heart striking whenever we think about this, because, I mean, we do get to see our Lord, especially in the whole Eucharist and adoration and things like that. But even in the silence of our room and you say here, it is not true in human relationships that the more you love someone, the more you seek to give and the less you desire to receive. The deepest love never says, give me. But it does say, make me. You probably think that if our Lord came into your room some night as you were praying, you would ask him favors or present your difficulties or say, when will the war end? Or should I buy General Motor stock or give me a million? No, I, you would throw yourself on your knees and kiss the hem of his garment. In the moment he laid his hands on your head, you would feel such a peace and trust and confidence, even in darkness. This is a very beautiful thing. It's something that, you know, we don't really think about. What, what would we actually do if we met our Lord? Would we treat him like a genie or would we treat him like a friend? What say you, Alan? Well, I think it's the question we want to ask ourselves. What would we do if, if Jesus came into the room? Um, I, I, I don't think we'd have an answer because I, I, I still would struggle to say, what would I do? Um, you know, what would my response be? But yet, I think the more we ponder that and prepare for that, and again, we have to prepare to meet the Lord one day, uh, we would uh, respond with those marks of affection to say, Lord, you've come. You said you were coming back, and you did. Uh, I would experience that gratitude to say, uh, he was faithful to his promise. Mm. He came back. But yet, I think it's this idea of going to uh, our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, to practice spending time with him, to looking upon him face to face. And this is where we see our Lord. He's veiled in the Eucharist, in the Holy Monstrance, but yet we practice visiting with him, looking upon him face to face. And I think that's what's important. Practice makes perfect. So uh, get and practice the Holy Hour. Make those visits to the church and spend some time in front of our blessed Lord. And so practice for his second coming. Amen. Amen. For sure. Uh, practice for a second coming by practicing, by going to adoration, going to Holy Mass. I know I don't do enough of it. I, too, need to do more adoration. I don't do a daily Holy Hour. I need to do a daily Holy Hour. That's something that is, some, is it's not that hard, but is so it's just inconvenient. And so it's something that I have to just set aside and say, you know what, I'm going to stop off. And because I waste, I waste more than an hour every day. I will easily waste more than an hour every single day. So I can spend an hour before our Lord. But God bless you, Alan. We're going to jump on to our game show, but I would love to see you in the after show. God love you, Alan. God bless you. God love you too. Amen. So check it out. Bishop Sheen today. Get that book, The Cross in the Crib. I think it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful read. I haven't read it in entirety. I'm reading excerpts of it um, this morning. Uh, so definitely check it out. But we're going to go into our Fear and Trembling game show. You could be a winner. How do you do so? Dial 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. One more time. That number and you could be the winner just by picking up your phone and down this number right now, 877-757-9424. Call now. We'll be right back. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Seven five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call. It'll be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. So make sure you pick up the phone and dial that number right now. And I know that you have a, we had a number of people call in yesterday. And so if you call in today and you don't get on, don't worry. There is still one more opportunity this week to win the prize. So make sure that you keep that number number on your speed dial. Speed, I can't say words today. And that number is 877-757-9424. Put that in your speed dial. And when we uh, start the sh game show, which you can actually hop on as early as a 7 o'clock hour, you can call in and hey, wait on hold, and we'd love to have you. So make sure that you do so. Now, if you are just listening to the show for the first time and you don't know what's going on and where we're what's what we're doing right now, well, it's very simple. We're playing the fear and trembling game show where I have three Catholic trivia questions. And the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. Instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. He's going to give me an answer. And it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong, which means even if you don't know the answer, there is a 50-50 chance of you getting it right, even if you just guess. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. You can win a set of the three hearts magnet and pin set. So you can get the magnets, put them on your fridge. You can get the pins and put them on your backpack, your jacket. Uh, you can put even the pins on the, the cork board, and they're going to help you reflect on the wonderful qualities 
of the Holy Family, of those, those three hearts of the Holy Family. Now, this prize was generously sponsored by Ginny and Sage Catholic Design. They're a husband and wife team who have been creating beautiful, faith-inspired jewelry and home decor since 2018. So if you're in the market for anything like that, maybe a gift or you're trying to redecorate your house, make sure to check out their website. Now, their hope is always that what they create reflects the beauty of God and draw people more deeply into the fullness of the faith. So again, if you want to follow them, if you want to uh, maybe maybe purchase some of their uh, some of their wares, uh, you could follow them on Instagram. You can go to at Ginny and Sage, and uh, you could follow them on Etsy, Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Ginny and Sage. Now it's a particular type of spelling, so I'm going to spell it out for you: G I N N Y and S A J E. And that's the same for both Etsy and Instagram. And I'll say it one more time. J, uh, it's G-I-N-N-Y and S-A-J-E. Thank you very much, Ginny and Sage, for sponsoring our game show this week. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. And it is always good to, you know, have good, we, we were just talking about this, good holy images, good holy decorations, things that are holy to look at in your home. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you very much for your generous sponsorship. Joining us right now is Dana. Good morning to you, Dana. Good morning, Adrian. And Dana, where are you calling in from? From Ennis. Ennis, Texas. <laughs> Praise be to God. Yes. Now, you're a repeat caller, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. welcome back. Sometimes now, Yeah. Well, praise be to God. We'd love to have you on. Now, Ennis is a is a great name. You know, I guess Ennis must have been founded by the Irish Catholics, if I had to guess, right? Um, I can't. Uh, Slovak. The Slovaks. Ah, okay. Because I'm thinking there's Ennis, there's Ennis, Ireland. Uh, but the uh, so that would make sense. It was somewhere in that area. I'm sure it was probably common in that area in general. You know, well, I never. Have, uh, Go ahead. We have our. Patron Saints, uh, St. Max, uh, not, not Max, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. But that's okay. Serial Methodius, those, oh. uh, they came, the people came, that's where they're from. Like, I guess that's what they brought over here, you know, Slovaks. like that. Amen, yeah. amen. Well, praise be to God, and you're up in the, that's the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, correct? Yeah, close to there, Perfect. yeah. Perfect. Well, praise be to God, and thank you very much, Dana, for calling in this morning. And where are you off to this morning? Uh, I'm actually in the parking lot to go into adoration to do my hour. Oh, wow. praise be to God. That's oh amazing. Goodness. I need to go do that. Uh, maybe You know what? I'm going to do that this afternoon. This afternoon, I'm going to take off, and I'm going to go after work, and I'm going to go to adoration for an hour. Uh, you've inspired God, me, Dana. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. God put me on the phone so I can say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, praise be to God. Well, thank you very much for saying so. Um, but, Dana, you're familiar with the game. You know how to play. Are you ready? Yes. Perfect, perfect. And you know, Rudy can be tricky, so you got to be careful. Yes. All right, let's jump into it. Question number one for you, Rudy. Okay. This question, mm, it could be tricky. It could, in fact, be tricky. One might say, before Vatican II, what was an acceptable age for entering the convent? Before Vatican II? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't think they changed anything about that. It's still 16, right? 16 was the age. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's possible. You might be right there. But let's find out. All right, 15 seconds on the clock, Dana. The question on the board is, 
Before Vatican II, what was an acceptable age for entering the convent? 15 seconds on the clock. Rudy says that it was 16. He says it's still 16, too. Uh, what say you, Dana? Um, I'm just thinking about some of the Saint movies. Um, it could be 15. I can't remember how old Saint Perez of Lister was. I think she was pretty young, but I'm going to go with uh, Rudy. I'm not too sure. All right, let's go. Let's see. Survey says... That is correct, Dana. It is, in fact, correct. It is 16. Um, is it still 16? No, actually, it's, it's different. 18, this right? was changed after Vatican II. I had no idea. Yeah. But uh, I don't know the actual answer I think it's that. 18. Probably 18 now. Yeah. yeah. I think they changed it because uh, the people were like, oh, you're not really an adult at 16 anymore. Mm. And so they kind of moved it up to 18 to legal reasons. And now they have to move it up to 30 because that's yeah, when you're an adult. Well, you know, actually, they won't. Most convents won't even accept you after you turn thirty. Really? Yeah, that's like the age limit because they say by the time you're thirty, you're kind of set in your ways, and it's really hard for you to conform to that religious is, life and conform to the, the the rules of the convent. So, so there true. you go, there you go. Uh, what to go, Dana? You did excellent. You, that was I could see your reasoning there, and you did a great job of reasoning it out, and you nailed it. So, uh, way to go, Dana. Are you ready for question number two? Yes. All right. Now, this question here, uh, if you've been listening to the show today, mm, it, there's a lot of uh, hints towards that direction today. So let's jump into it. Rudy, the question on the board is, what war arose after Muslims began attacking Catholic pilgrims en route to the Holy Land in the Middle Ages? That happens to be the Crusades. Mm. The Crusades were kicked off because Muslims were attacking Catholics going to the Holy Land. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So if anybody ever tells you, well, the Crusades weren't justified, this is why mm. some of the Crusades, at least, the were, uh, were, yeah, the official Crusades were kicked off. Well, there you go. All right, Dana. I mean, pff, I don't know. I was told... The Crusades were these uh, bad things that Catholics just started attacking poor, innocent Muslims for no reason. War crimes. Um, yeah. So I don't know. What say you, Dana? 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what war arose after Muslims began attacking Catholic pilgrims en route to the Holy Land in the Middle Ages? Rudy seems to think it's the Crusade. Deus Volt, as one might say. Um, what say you, Dana, from Innis, Texas? Uh, I I, I got to listen to your show this morning, but I was in and out because I'm getting my little one ready for school. But I'm going to go with Rudy because with I yes. do know some of the history, like even St. Dominic and stuff. Oh. All right. Let's check to see if that's right. 15 seconds. There you go. Very good, <laughs> Dana. That is two for two. 100% success rate. You got, you're getting an A-plus so far. I am very impressed. Very, very impressed. That is, in fact, the Crusades. And, uh, yeah, you're right. The St. Dominic was part of the Albigensian Crusade, which uh, wasn't actually against Muslims, though. It was against the Albigensian heretics, which were Catholics who became heretics. Uh, but, nonetheless, you are still correct, Dana. So, way to go. Okay, thank you. Are you ready for question number three? Yes. Now, I got to tell you, I have to warn you, Dana. This question here is probably the hardest question we've ever had on the history of the Fear and Trembling game show. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, that sounded confident. I like it. Calm, courage, and confidence from Dana. We'd love to see it. All right, Rudy, the question is, 
What is the greatest, the absolute greatest of all the glorious mysteries? I want you to pick just one. The greatest of them all? The greatest of them all. It happens to be the descent of the Holy Ghost. The descent of the Holy Ghost. Yes. Think of how how often does it happen in scriptures. It's very rare that there's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it only happens a few times, doesn't it? Yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, that is certainly an answer. 15 seconds on the clock, Dana. The question on the board is, what is the greatest of all the glorious mysteries? Rudy seems to think it's the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Ghost. Uh, What say you, Dana? I don't know this one, but um, I would say so just because it was by the Holy Spirit. A lot of things happened. <laughs> Are you sure you're that it's a, the descent of the Holy Ghost? Uh, okay, I'm not going with it. <laughs> uh, she, the confidence just flew out, just like ran out like a dove. All right, let's see. You're You're going with no then. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to go with no, because you said, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Survey says that is correct, Dana. You are right. It was the resurrection. The first glorious mystery, the resurrection, is the greatest of all the glorious mysteries. And it's kind of a big deal, the resurrection. It's the, the greatest feast of the year, True. Easter Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Congratulations, Dana. Stay on the line. We're going to make sure we get your contact information. And please, please pray for us while you're in adoration. I certainly need yeah. your prayers, and we'll be praying for you. All righty. Thank you. God bless you. God love you. On that's going to do it for the radio side. If you could join us in the after show, we'd love to have you. Simply hop on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and we love to chat with you there. And we would love to go talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. I'm sure there's a lot of topics up that we discussed today on the show that you want to comment on. We'll talk about that. But if not, we'll see you back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Live at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Soul Community. Today we offer this Mass especially for vocations to the priesthood. The intention for today's Mass is offered for those who are joining us on Guadalupe Radio, those joining us online, and those here present. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, 
Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who willed to provide shepherds for your people, pour out in your church a spirit of piety and fortitude to raise up worthy ministers for your altars and make them ardent yet gentle heralds of your gospel. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, from the day we heard about you, we do not cease praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so as to be fully pleasing in every good work bearing fruit, and growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with every power in accord with his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father, who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the Holy Ones in light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. The Lord has made known his salvation. The Lord has made his salvation known. In the sight of the nations, he has revealed his justice. He has remembered his kindness and faithfulness toward the house of Israel. The Lord has made known his salvation. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation by our God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Break into song, sing praise. The Lord has made known his salvation. Sing praise to the Lord with the harp, 
with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Sing joyfully before the King, the Lord. The Lord has made known his salvation. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Come after me, says the Lord, and I will make you fishers of men. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to help them. They came and filled, and filled both boats so that the boats were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish they had made seized him and all those with him, and likewise James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I tell novices when they enter into novitiate is to be like this gospel, to get to allow Jesus to get into the boat and to go out from the shore into the deep. The safety of the shore so that the Lord can really again speak to their heart and really form them. I really like what Peter says. Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. Many years ago when I was here at Our Lady of Corpus Christi studying philosophy, we had a couple of gentlemen who were aspirants and they literally would go out fishing. And one time they went out fishing all night. He said they were doing all night vigils because when they came back it was time for morning prayer. That's how long they had been out there, all night. And they had caught nothing. <laughs> and we were trying to tell them, well, maybe it's because you're spending too much time out on, on the water and not enough time in prayer, you know. And, uh, but they were learning that lesson. Without Jesus, it seems like nothing, nothing we do is really fruitful. One of the lessons that we learn through this gospel is something our, our founder, Father James Flanagan, would tell us. 
he would say, in the last, I don't know, he'd say 500 years, we have evangelized with Jesus. He says, now we have to evangelize in Jesus Christ. I'm not sure exactly I know what he meant by that, but perhaps what St. Paul was saying at the very end of that reading, we have been transferred to the kingdom of God in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's like since when St. Paul says, you know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That if we are really to evangelize this pagan world that we live in, if we are truly to be lights, we have to evangelize in Jesus to identify ourselves so much with Christ that people see beyond us and they see Christ. That's not easy to do. That's a whole formation program. It's part of all of our life. But that's what Jesus invites us to. That's when he gets into that boat. When he comes into our soul, he wants to be the one that guides and directs us. And we simply have to be like Peter and kind of give up for a, for a change and allow Jesus to guide us. And he says, go out in the deep, now throw out your net for a catch. Another part, another gospel is throw out on the right side. He says, we've been fishing all night, have caught nothing. Yes, because on our own we can do nothing. But with Christ we can do all things. That, of course, takes time for us to be with Jesus in prayer, to allow him to be our guide, to say, you know, do this, go here. And we're, so, we're such a conduit of God's love and his grace that we are ready to do whatever he asks of us, to follow after him instead of trying to walk ahead of him. <laughs> to follow after him. He says, come after me, says the Lord. I will make you fishers of men. I think it is that that will, that will help young men, and perhaps older as well, to be attracted to the priesthood. That's why we offer this Mass a special way on this Thursday for vocations to the ordained ministry. There are young men that, God, that Jesus has gotten into their boat, and they're working, whatever they're doing in life, they're working and it seems fruitless, but if they would just go out with Jesus into the deep and allow him to really speak to their heart, to direct them, to guide them, and to astonish them to the point where they fall off their knees and say, Lord, I am, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I think every person who goes into the seminary has that sense of, I am unworthy. And it's true. Ordained, people who are ordained are unworthy. And it's not because of our worthiness. It's because God is called. That's why. Thanks be to God. But then, I have called you to be fishers of men to go out to bring those into the kingdom of God. Let us pray in a special way to the master of the harvest, the master of the fishermen, to inspire young men to the priesthood. May he be good into their boat, draw them deeper into the, or draw them out into the deep, so he may speak to their heart and call them. May they listen. God is calling people, which is perhaps not listening. We pray for an increase of vocations to the priesthood, uh, especially in the church today. Let us stand and offer our prayers and petitions before our Heavenly Father. Let us pray for our Holy Father, for all the ministers of the Church. Again, we pray in a special way for vocations to holy orders, that those whom Jesus has called will respond generously to his grace. Let us pray to the Lord. Let's pray for peace among nations, 
that delivered from all turmoil, the peoples may serve God in freedom of heart. Let us pray to the Lord. Let's pray for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, that hearing the gracious words of Jesus, they may receive his mercy and so repent and turn to him. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who have died, for all the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. For our own intentions, those who have asked us to pray for them, we pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers and grant our petitions according to your holy will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, who become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, who become our spiritual drink. Bless you, God. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Look kindly, we pray, O Lord, on the prayers and offerings of your people, that the stewards of your mysteries may grow in number and persevere always in your love through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, in him you have been pleased to renew all things, giving us all a share in his fullness. For though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, and by the blood of his cross brought peace to all creation. Therefore he has been exalted above all things, and to all who obey him has become the source of eternal salvation. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, 
Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abaho, Plenis et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you, in your compassion, O merciful Father, 
gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And so offer to the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, we tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, we tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Quid holis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy to enter under my roof. Only say the word which my soul shall be. By this we came to know the love of God, that Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. For those unable to receive communion, and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things and desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Sacrament most holy, O Sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment. Let us pray. Renewed with the bread of the heavenly table, we entreat you, O Lord, that through this sacrament of charity, the seeds you sow with great abundance in the field of your church may come to maturity, so that many may make it their choice in life to serve you in their brothers and sisters, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Pete. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Et Ves Nostra Salve, A Te Clamamus, Exules Filii Hebe, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Caden from St. Rosalie Parish. 